0: Welcome to the BME grad podcast. I'm Brian.
1: And I'm Allie. And today's guest is Nicole Spencer. Nicole is a 2019 grad from the joint department of biomedical engineering at UNC and NC state. After graduating, she spent two years at Epic, a healthcare software company as an integration engineer. Now she's at Fiagon, a medical device company in endoscopic sinus surgery, where she's worked as a clinical field engineer for the past year and a half. Today, we'll talk to Nicole about what it's like to be a clinical field engineer, working regularly with surgeons, and also sales reps to install and enable the use of FIAGON's devices. We'll also talk about her feelings on traveling for work and her experiences through a recent acquisition. Please enjoy this interview with Nicole Spencer. Hey,
0: Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Hey,
2: thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat.
0: Yeah, us too. So I'm really glad you're able to fit us in. Uh, I know you had your work trip right now. Um, and to give our listeners some context, uh, Nicole is another close friend of mine from our BME department at NC State, uh, similar to Natsuo. Um We were on the same senior design team, actually, and we also kept up with each other after graduating. So she's a special friend here. Um, so you're a clinical field engineer with um, how What does Fiegon do and, you know, where are uh, where is FIAGON?
2: Yeah, so Fiogot's a pretty small company. It actually started in Germany, um, and then made its way over to the US, um, but it's still, you know, small within the US. And they make products that are used during sinus surgery. So kind of the main thing that I work with is called a navigation system, which is a system, if you're not familiar, before surgery, you upload a patient CT scan to the system. And then it uses, in our case, an electromagnetic field to track where the instruments are during surgery in relation to um, the patient CT scan, so the surgeon knows exactly where where they're operating. Um, so yeah, Feagon sells the navigation system as well as a bunch of devices that kind of go along with it and can be used with it.
0: Is it specifically your nose and throat ENT or is it?
2: Yeah, yeah. So we only do sinus. Um, In Germany, they actually, I know, also do dental and some spine, but we're not indicated for that here. Um, So here it's all sinus.
0: Cool. So then your role as a clinical field engineer, uh, what do you do and what's your day-to-day?
2: Yeah, so my role basically is to be a technical expert to the clinical people who are using our devices. So I will go in um, and for For new customers, I'll go in and actually install the navigation system, make sure everything's set up and working right. And then I'll train the staff on how to use it because it is a little bit involved. And then I will stay and observe the surgeries, make sure everything's going well until they feel comfortable doing it without without um, a CFE there. And then for existing customers, uh, if something breaks, they'll send one of us in to fix it or to replace it um sometimes they'll also need extra training for if they have turnover and staff and we'll also go out with when we have new software upgrades and devices that come out we'll do that
0: gotcha how long are these stents uh
2: like st- like for trips or
0: oh yeah yeah how long are you at a customer site um,
2: um it really varies so if a customer is just trialing our equipment They'll usually try to stack a bunch of surgeries within a few weeks, and then they'll need someone there to support the whole time. So you might go up for the whole week, a couple of weeks in a row. Um, but then for existing customers, we'll often just fly out for a day or two at a time, depending on when their surgeries are. Nice.
1: Could you describe a little bit what it's like to be in a surgery and what you're like physically doing?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's really interesting. It's something to that definitely took some getting used to. So there's a couple of different surgical environments that we're in so one is the hospital, which is like Grey's Anatomy pretty intense you know everything is sterile. Um, you have to be really careful about what you do, um, and then the other is outpatient offices so think you know, maybe where you got your wisdom teeth pulled. Um, where you just went in for that day, and you know we're gone the same day um, and that's a, a little bit more of a relaxed setting. Um, But either way, when we go in, depending on the experience level of the customer with the devices, I'll go in and if it's a newer customer, I'll make sure that I have someone with me while I actually do the setup of the device um, and, you know, make sure I'm talking them through it the whole time. And then if it's a customer who really knows what they're doing but might be having some issues i'll go in and kind of just observe them setting it up and point out any issues i see answer any questions they have
1: and what types of surgeries are these typically so they, these are all sinus surgeries yeah
2: well so, um in the hospital setting or also the um asc ambulatory surgery center setting um they're longer and more involved so basically your sinuses can get very blocked up by um you know various for various reasons um and it's a condition called chronic rhinosinusitis and if it's really bad you'll have to go into the or and they will just go in with you know scissors debriders um, lots of different devices and just clear them out um you know they'll shave off nasal polyps um sometimes cut things open. It sounds really brutal, but it is very controlled. It sounds brutal. Um, And then in the office setting, there's what's called um, balloon sinoplasty or balloon sinus dilation. And what that is, is the surgeon, it's usually for patients who aren't quite as blocked up as those patients that you'll see in the OR. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just under local anesthesia. And the surgeon will take a small balloon and insert it into the various sinuses. Um, You have four sinuses on both sides of your face. So they'll take it into the various sinuses um, and inflate the balloon for a few seconds. And that will actually microfracture the bones in that area. And then they end up just healing in a a more open state. So then you can breathe more easily. And this all sounds very brutal, but it's really not.
1: (laughs) no i mean i uh i struggled with so many like sinus issues as a child (laughs) um so i was just thinking i was like that kind of sounds nice to have my nasal passages expanded a little bit like i could have used that when i was 12 but well you should you should
2: go i've learned i think most people have sinus issues i think i have sinus issues too but
0: I definitely do. I need to get checked out. But like, you know, you you know, I've never thought in my life to ever get checked out, but I hear my coworkers saying like they've gone and they've done uh procedures and it's like drastically helped them when they sleep or even just like walking around. Um, so this is like uh from what I what I see, like ENT is this field where like there's so much development that could happen. Uh Mm -hmm. what's out there already isn't um Uh, You know, doctors are already um, just trying to make do with what they have. And so there's a lot of growth here that could happen. So I'm excited to see kind of the navigation side. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And you know, there's different stages of care. So if you went in, they would probably prescribe medications first. Mm -hmm. Um, The patients that we see are the ones who medications haven't worked and it's really impacting their quality of
1: life. Right. Okay. So. You told us a little bit about like, what you're doing on a day to day, I guess, like for somebody listening, what would, you know, if they want to kind of align themselves to what you do in this type of like a device specifically, what kind of skill sets would they need to have? And and then maybe just like also like personality traits, logistical things they're okay with? What would you say to that?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so it definitely helps having a technical background. I think the the biggest thing is being able to take those technical concepts and um, you know communicate them very well since such a big portion of our job is training and you know making sure people are using the equipment correctly. Um, so you know if you have any kind of like teaching background that can be really helpful. Um, we do have a lot of biomedical engineers as well because I feel like in bme since it is more of a spread out engineering, um, you know, we do a lot of talking to, to different people with different backgrounds. And so we're very used to, um, you know, communicating about these technical things. And then some of the other things are, you know, we work a lot with surgeons who are very intelligent, very driven people. Um, so you have to be able to be confident um, and, you know, really step in and be assertive when you're trying to teach them how to do something that maybe they're not used to doing.
0: So if I had to kind of sum this up together, like the installation, it like, or we'll say the initial installation is really not the big part of this job. It's like interacting, working with the with the surgeons and seeing like what they want or how they want to set up or kind of working together. So it's more of this like collaborative nature. Is that kind of correct?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I definitely spend a lot more of my time in surgery than I do actually installing equipment.
0: Okay, so that's really interesting because at striker I work a lot with like sales reps and marketing right because we're figuring Mm -hmm. out the the product that we're trying to design, but I haven't really interacted with many surgeons yet. Um, So what have they been like, you know, um, talking to a surgeon like you've kind of mentioned they're very bright and. um, Just tell me a little bit about that experience.
2: Um, just about talking to surgeons. Yeah,
0: like uh, you know, uh, some of your maybe favorite stories or uh, working with the surgeon and
1: or embarrassing stories because <laughs> yeah. I could see oh. myself totally humiliating myself to surgeon. I don't know if you want to out yourself. Oh, here, I have plenty of those. <laughs> I have plenty of those. No, so yeah, it's it
2: was definitely very intimidating to me at first, um, just because you know they are often perfectionists. Um, you know, it's kind of a requirement for the job. It definitely helped realizing that, you know, they just want what's best for their patient, which is also what I want. Um, some interesting experiences. Sometimes it's kind of tough being like a very young woman walking in. Like I had one surgeon come in one time and I introduced myself and he was like, why is there a 15-year-old coming into my surgery? Um, and he was just joking, but I, I get a lot of weird comments like that. So I feel like I have to be very assertive in order to get them to, you know, understand this is a person they should listen to. But you know, you can really just connect with them by, you know, being honest and making it clear that you're you're just there to make sure their surgery goes well. Um, we actually we work with sales reps a lot but one you know really major difference with our job is that we're not there to sell we're there just to make
1: sure everything goes well and so we can connect with them in that way
0: yeah it's like a different focus so um yeah yeah, that's a good point different connection Mm -hmm.
1: so you're interacting with a lot of surgeons you're going to a bunch of different hospitals um what regions do you support by the way so
2: that's a really good question it's it's kind of interesting with my team we actually aren't assigned specific regions. Okay. And I think that's pretty different from a lot of other people in this role, especially with the bigger companies they will have. Since they have a lot of employees, they can really divide them by region. But there's actually only about a dozen people on my team. And so we are spread out across the country. We all live in different places. So if there's a surgery in you know, North or South Carolina, chances are I'll be the one to cover it. But that's not always the case you know sometimes something will pop up and the closest person to that surgery is already committed to be somewhere else so they fly someone else in or you know we might have two things going on in one area one day so they'll have to fly someone else in so we actually don't have you know specific customers assigned to us which i think is pretty unique to to my team
1: gotcha yeah. So just kind of covering whoever's near and has availability kind of style, exactly. probably history too. Um, so do you like traveling for work? How's that experience been for you?
2: Yeah, I actually really like it. It's something that takes getting used to and definitely requires you to be flexible, especially because surgical schedules are changing all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'll am i be booking a flight for tomorrow and, you know, that's not that unusual. Um, but I'm not a person who really likes to have a set routine every day, so I actually really like the not knowing. Um, And it's also just really fun to get to see certain places or different places. I guess one piece of advice I would give to someone else who is in a role like this or who starts a role like this is to be comfortable going out and doing things by yourself. Cause at first it was kind of weird for me to go out and like do dinner, do touristy things by myself. But I try to make it a point now to, to, you know, go out and actually enjoy the places that I get to go.
1: How often are you traveling?
2: It varies a lot. Um, so for example, earlier this year, kind of after the spread of Omicron ended a lot of Mm -hmm. surgeries that had been canceled because of COVID got rescheduled. So February and March, I think I traveled every week. Wow. But then, and often only for, you know, two days out of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a little bit later, while my company was being bought, um, there was sort of a weird time period where we were just trying to figure out how to merge the the two companies together. So I think I went over a month without traveling. Um, in an ideal world, it would probably be like 50 to 75% of the time. But it has been a little up and down lately
0: <laughs> so you you actually just hinted at uh hinted at this next question and we were catching up a couple months ago about it and you mentioned something about your company getting acquired uh, so is that all kind of done now and like what happened
2: yeah it, it's been a crazy ride so fiagon you know existed as its own company first um and then they had kind of a partnership with Intelis, which then got bought by striker and then fiagon sort of pulled them I guess, went back to being, you know, their own Um, and then they got bought by a company called Intersect ENT and I came on not long after that. Um, And so what Intersect ENT does, they make stents that are put in post sinus surgery, they're put into the sinuses and they elude a steroid that helps facilitate healing. Um, So it was a pretty good matchup between Intersect and FIAGON because they're both very ENT focused. But then, so I started last June and in August, we found out that Medtronic was going to be purchasing Intersect ENT. So everything got a little hectic, like we didn't know what was going on for a long time. Um, But the thing is Medtronic already has a navigation system. So there's this whole review process whenever a purchase like this happens where the FTC um, reviews all of the plans and um it was this was causing a slowdown in their ability to to purchase intersect because they already own a certain percentage of the market in navigation so they were kind of going back and forth on whether they could keep the navigation system so they decided to sell us off to make the deal the deal close faster which it took from We found out this was happening in August and it took until May for the deal to close, so it still was not quick, it was a very, very long process. But now Fiagon is being acquired by another small ENT company called hemostasis, which actually also makes stents that are put in after sinus surgery, so kind of of funny how that worked out.
0: Not too much disruption there because like stent, stent, so um, the navigation portion. Okay, that's cool.
2: And there are different products, but um yeah it's been a little weird we're still definitely working out how the two companies are going to function together mm-hmm. but since they are such a, a small team and they don't really have any equivalent of my role there right now everything's just kind of stayed the same for us we just work with different salespeople now
0: right at fiegon were you guys ever like preparing for getting acquired by medtronic this large company uh, versus hemostasis like was that ever kind of a shift to there
2: so mentally yes but we weren't allowed to really do anything to actually officially prepare for it like you're really not allowed to do anything until the deal is actually closing right um but mentally we had a lot of conversations about it
1: you know sometimes um Sometimes people can have misconceptions about like what an acquisition is going to mean for them or their job security or the company. Do you like do you have any key learnings from that process? Um, Just kind of having gone through it or maybe like things to not worry about? I know we have a young audience and sometimes that can be Mm -hmm. a concern. So I'd just like to hear kind of what you thought on that.
2: Yeah, no, that was definitely a big concern for me as soon as we heard the news. I think all of the newer people on the team were thinking the worst possible thoughts, Um, but really just in that situation, there's no need to panic. I've learned because first of all, these things take such a long time to actually go through. Um, You're not going to be out of a job tomorrow or anything. And then once the deal actually closes, I don't know if this is typical, but for both companies, not a lot changes in the immediate future. Um, so like the sales people that were with Intersect, now they're with Medtronic, but they're still kind of selling the same, the same things that they were. Mm-hmm. They're just wearing Medtronic scrubs now. So it really does take a while for anything to change. So if that happens, you know, you're not going to be immediately out of a job or anything. Um and I guess the main piece of advice that a lot of the more senior people on my team always gave us was just to remember that if they're buying the company, they're not just buying it for the product, they're buying it for the people in the company as a whole. So they're going to want to do what makes both companies happy and merge together. So it's, it definitely causes some panic, but yeah, there's really, there's really no need to be super worried about it.
1: Yeah. I feel like a lot of the times, you know, in our industry, it's usually like a strategic choice. Like they want to continue to, they want to build their portfolio out or acquire a new like know-how or technology. And so, um, a whole like team of people and expertise comes along with that. That's, that's valuable. So, um, sounds like that was like a similar experience for you yeah yeah
2: exactly it's a new product and if you're an expert in that product they're gonna they're gonna want you around for at least some at least the near future
1: (laughs) so tell them everything really slow (laughs) exactly exactly
0: cool um so prior to starting at Fiagon as a um clinical field engineer. So you were actually an integration engineer at Epic, right? That's how I, that's how we kept in touch. Uh, This was when I was living in Wisconsin as well. I would drive down and we had, you know, Madison was, was fun. Um, uh, I really appreciated the, uh, (laughs) Epic tour. That was, that was fun.
1: I'm glad you enjoyed it. Epic, the electronic health record, uh, company. Yes.
0: Right. Right. Not the video game company. So (laughs) I won't ask you any Epic questions since Leanne actually spoke on that right in season one, episode three, go check that out. Uh, but
2: I have, (laughs)
0: So how do you think that experience sets you up for your current role?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So to give a little background about my job at Epic, I was on the interfaces team. So my job was to work with customers on their data exchange between Epic and third party systems. So it was a very customer facing role as well, kind of similar to what I'm doing now. It definitely helped me to work with all different kinds of people um, and kind of what I was saying earlier about being able to explain technical concepts to people who aren't really used to working with that type of technology. Um, you know, I was working with a lot of people who were new to epic and so I had to explain very basic things to them um, and then also some more complicated things so it definitely helped me communication wise. I think it also helped me prepare for, you know, the really different day-to-day experiences of the job, because that was also a job where there's not really like a set routine, not quite as much as this one, because I wasn't traveling all the time. But, you know, it just helped me prepare to be flexible and get used to not knowing what my day is going to look like when I wake up.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy for kind of where you've landed, like uh, looking back on our uh, BME um, experiences, like. I think it I think this is really good for you. Like it, it kind of complements your strengths, um, right? Being technical, having the know how, but really having all those people skills like you're very personable. So <laughs> um, yeah, I just I think it's really great that you kind of found your way here uh, with Fiagon. So that's it's cool. I don't know another clinical field engineer as a uh, in my network.
2: Thanks. Yeah, no, I really love it. Like you said, I definitely I like to work with people, but I also like to be technical um, and I think I was doing that at both Epic and at FIAGON, but with Epic, you know, it was, it was more sitting at my desk on the phone, whereas with FIAGON, I'm out in the field, I'm in the hospitals, um, you know, I'm physically with the, the surgeons and the staff and I really enjoy that.
1: I was going to say, you get to interact with people, be technical, but you also get to feel a little bit more of the like hands-on patient impact piece, which not everybody gets to do in this industry, which is cool. Yeah. Right. If
0: if you're far away and you're designing things, but you never interact on the on the side with the patients and the surgeons and the customers, right? Mm-hmm. That's a different kind of um, different kind of feeling, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's cool too. Kind of what you said about when you're on the design team, you don't interact as much with the patients. Um, one thing I really like about being at a smaller company is that we also can kind of liaison between what we're seeing in the field and the R and D team.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so we can definitely really make an impact with R and D as well
0: yeah cool yeah um i thought this was a really cool discussion and so um, again really great to have you on the podcast here uh uh, excited to see kind of where you go from here um, and get really good at clinical field engineering Um,
1: (laughs) thanks yeah i appreciate you having me it's great to catch up And thanks for listening to the BME Grad Podcast. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow our Instagram page for shorts and updates. In terms of the podcast, please make sure to subscribe or follow and leave a rating or review. The BME Grad Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.